0: Welcome to Social Stories, Australia's most inspiring podcast, where you'll hear the stories from socially conscious people all over the world making a difference. So listen in, feel inspired, and enjoy our show. Hi everyone, Rochelle Coombs, the chief podcaster here at Social Stories. Today, I am excited to share with you yet another story of someone from around the world that is making an absolute difference with what they're doing with their lives in business. You know, business has a power to really drive change globally. So I'm here to share with you the stories of exceptional people that will seriously inspire you to make a difference in your everyday life or in business. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking to Bethany Tran. Bethany is the CEO of The Root Collective. Bethany started The Root Collective back in 2009. She has an absolutely amazing and inspiring story. I laugh. I almost want to cry. There's just so much emotion and excitement about this story. I'm so excited to bring it to you. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Bethany. Thank
1: you so much for having me.
0: It's so great to finally to be able to speak to you face to face. We were just having a discussion about the um the difference in seasons. So I'm sitting here on Skype wearing my beanie and scarf in Melbourne and Bethany's looking extremely summer summery, casual, um at nine o'clock in the morning over where are you again? For North Carolina. There you go. So um yeah, definitely two opposite ends of the world. (laughs) So Bethany, tell us a little bit more about yourself. So really, you know, how did, where did you grow up? You know, what kind of things were you involved in? Were you always, you know, a a socially conscious child? Uh, Let's get to know you.
1: Mm. I grew up in the state of Pennsylvania, which is in the northeastern part of the US, um, close to New York. A lot of people know where New York is. um, So grew up there, um, I was a dance teacher in my teen years, so that was really my first job was doing that. Um, I taught ballet, tap, jazz, um, a little bit of like gymnastics and stuff like that. Loved it, did that for 10 years. Um, Ended up graduating from college with a degree in media communications and went into marketing after that. Um, So that's really what my background is in marketing and content development, um, mostly in web. So I didn't really do like a whole lot of print. I, when I graduated college, it was when like web was really, really starting to take off here. So, um, was able to get in on that and, um, ended up working for Comcast, which here in the States is, um, like they do like TV and internet and things like that. It's one of the biggest companies in the country actually so um you know this is like the made it for the American dream right yeah <laughs> yeah I was, I was miserable because it was not where my heart was. Um, so that's just a little bit of background about me. Um, I also am totally obsessed with my dogs. We were talking about this before we started recording. So I've got two two puppies that aren't really puppies, but they'll always be puppies yep. to me. <laughs>
0: what, what breed are they?
1: I've got a lab husky mix. So she's wow. about a 70-pound dog. And then we have our... Um, our shoulder shrug we have no idea what she is yeah Mix. <laughs> she's yeah she's a hound of some sort uh, and she's tan and she's about 45 pounds so our spoiled little babies
0: wow so they'd be a bit of a handful when you take them for a walk
1: <laughs> oh yeah they are they um I like to think that they're well trained but I normally end up getting drugged for like the first five minutes of their walk yeah like, get them under control. (laughs) A bit of a who's
0: walking, who scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Fabulous. So, so you're working at Comcast. I think they're a fortune 500 company, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, like number 47
1: or something like that. So they're huge, massive. I was working in the corporate center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, um, and, uh again it's like this is what you're supposed to want, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for a major company. Um, so but I had um started going to Guatemala It was seven and a half years ago now, so it was before I was working at Comcast, um, friends of mine started a nonprofit called Lemonade International, and they were just in the slum of Lali Manada in Guatemala City, and uh, a friend of mine actually moved down to Guatemala for a year, and she tells me this, she's like, hey, I'm moving to Guatemala, and I was like, hey, I'm going to totally come visit. That's not normal. Like, I don't do stuff <laughs> like
0: that. <laughs> How long did it take to get to Guatemala from where you are?
1: Uh, at that time, so I was still living in Pennsylvania, and at that time, you could actually take a direct flight from Philadelphia to Guatemala, so it was, like, a five-hour flight. Wow. Was, sorry.
0: Um
1: you cannot do that anymore,
0: which <laughs> stinks. <laughs> that it is the more easy that it would be to travel but that's insane so how long does it take you now and where do you have to go via it
1: um so it really depends on I mean most trips most times I can get down there in eight hours with one layover because I'm in North Carolina now so I fly right out of Raleigh which is like the airport's 20 minutes from where I live Um, so it's not hard to get to the airport but Normally there's a layover either in Miami or somewhere in Texas. Um, so it's normally like somewhere between eight to ten hours, but there've been times where I've booked a last minute flight and it can take, you know, like fourteen hours just wow. because it's really terrible layover. So You
0: could come also all the way to Australia for that length of time. <laughs> no,
1: right? Right. Yeah, I'm coming to visit you. Yeah,
0: definitely. There's some space in here for you, Bethany. <laughs> with the dog <laughs> <laughs> lovely so so you travelled to Guatemala with your friend um, or visiting your friend over there and the, and then what
1: so and then I spent a week getting my expectations of what the world was completely blasted. I don't know how it is in Australia, but here in the U.S., we have a very limited view of what poverty is. Like, we think that we understand it. Um, I thought that I understood it going down there. And it's not even, like, the conditions that people live in, um, but it's just more how complicated it is. Like, if you live in this slum, you often have to lie about your address just to get a job. No one's going to hire you just because you live there, um, and there is a very, very heavy gang presence there as well. Which one of those things? Again, it sounds so simple, like you just don't join a gang. Yeah, so it's not. It's not that simple. Like if the gangs are coming after you and you refuse, um, a lot of people are murdered because they refuse to join the gang. Um, Or there's a lot of kids that are on the street by themselves by the time they're 10 years old and they just want a family, they just want somebody to take care of them. So the gangs become that for them. Um, And then once you join a gang, they'll normally tattoo you on your face or your neck. So you're essentially branded Mm -hmm. as a gang for them. And if you're branded, if an employer knows that you've been in a gang, they're not going to hire you. If you're living in the slum and then you got pulled into the gangs and now you're known as a gang member, I mean, you just can't get a job. So how are you supposed to leave the gangs if you can't get a job? Um, Very complicated. Um, When I first started going down there, the police wouldn't even go into the slum because it was, it's considered one of the most dangerous slums in the world. Um, So there was no police presence there and... They had, like, their own little economy that was going on in there. They had their own um, protective services, I guess. Like, there are literally people that will hire assassins to, like, take care of some of the, the gang leaders down there to just get rid of them because there's no justice system. Yeah. that is, You know, part of their, their culture and their, you know, normal way of life and what's going on outside the slum. So all of these things which... Um, know I just I had no idea
0: Mm -hmm. super (laughs) eye-opening yeah
1: Yeah, it was it was really just um it was extremely eye-opening so I got home from that trip um and you know the thing that I found really interesting too is that I don't know that I necessarily thought this but I think a lot of people just associate poverty with laziness yeah, like they, they just don't want to work, um, and that is the case sometimes. Like we see that here in the U.S., um, I've seen that in Guatemala too, where people do have an opportunity for a job and they excited to "Well," no. um, but most of the time, it's people that really do want to work. Yeah, want that job. Um, they just can't, they get, can't it. get it. Yeah. Nobody's going to hire them. Um. So you know, seeing that desire when I was there, um, you know, I came back a totally different person than when I went down there. Um, and it was kind of like that. Okay. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's
0: that epiphany moment I was talking about. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to have one in every single episode. I've had them so oh, yeah. far. It's yeah. that's that.
1: Oh, yeah, but it's actually, there's a, there's another light bulb moment that happened later, because um, that was that was seven and a half years ago um, that that happened. So I went back down again that same year, um, and then went down again a few times over the next, like, three, three and a half years. And every time it was just coming back, you know, having, I started having this idea for the social business, just knowing that... You've got these nonprofits doing really great things. Like Lemonade International, they're really focused on education. Um, so, you know, you can educate these kids, but if there's no job for them afterwards. Yeah,
0: what's the point? I'm not, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter that you've educated that kid, but if there's no job for them, there's nothing for them anyway. So, this cycle is going to just continue. Um, and there is a lot more now with. Um, you know, like just microeconomics and microloans and things like that that were not necessarily going on seven and a half years ago. So that that has really started to increase just globally, which is great. It needs to happen. But um, so I'm seeing all these nonprofits, and it's like, okay, you're focusing on education. That's really great. There's no jobs. Somebody's got to do something about this. Mm. And I kept waiting for somebody to do something about it, and mm. nobody was doing something. About it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like man.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, so if nobody's doing something about it. Um, I should probably do something about it. But, uh, you know, it's a little bit intimidating because I, you know, I have that marketing background. That's what I know. I have never done business development. I've never done product development. I've never done international business. I've never done economic development in com- communities like that. So I have this massive knowledge gap Yeah. Up not knowing how to basically do this business, essentially. Like, none of it. Um, I had just no clue whatsoever. So I kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Um, And then I started working at Comcast. Mm -hmm. And then three weeks later, I turned 30. um, And I went through, like, this massive quarter-life crisis. um, Because it's like, okay, I'm working for one of the biggest companies in the country, you know, on the 40th floor in the middle of Philadelphia. Um, i I have made it according to American standards and I'm miserable.
0: Yeah. I am
1: absolutely miserable. And Comcast is actually a really great company to work for. Um, but it just, my heart wasn't there and I knew that I was just not fulfilling what I had been created to do. Um, so, The Half the Sky documentary aired on PBS um, about two months after my birthday. And um, if you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. No, I haven't seen that one. So good. Um, I'm writing that down now. And I'll write this in the show notes. So good. Um, So it's basically about how women... Women hold up half the sky, right? We make up half the population around the world, so we're holding up half the sky. That's where the title comes from. And they follow, I want to say, eight women around the world um, who are just breaking barriers, breaking down stigmas, um, just doing amazing things in their communities. And the the one story that always sticks out to me, can never remember what country it is in Africa, but um, it's one of those countries where there's, like, one doctor for two million people. And um, women are dying in childbirth Mm. all the time because there's just no access to medical care and people are not trained to know how to properly deliver a baby. Um, And so this woman in an African country where it's a very patriarchal society, women are not valued, is going around and training midwives in these small village communities to help cut down the mortality rate during childbirth. <laughs> and I'm watching this and I'm going, crap. I have zero excuse. Yeah. Like if this that's woman amazing. is doing this in this country where she is, you know, essentially looked down on because she's a woman, um, like I just have no excuse whatsoever. Um, so I was on the phone the next day with the director of Lemonade International and was like, we've got to talk. He's a good friend of mine and, you know, I was like I've had this idea for this business and he was like Bethany you need to just stop talking about it. You need to just go do it. And I'm like mm-hmm. I know I do, but where do I start? I have no idea. Oh my god.
0: <laughs> and I'm sure that's where the the hundreds of Google searches on Sue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so that's what I did. I took to Google. Um how, how to start a business. Tell yeah. me Google. How do I do this? <laughs> Oh Lord, so it took a year, a little over a year from that point to actually get the business off the ground. Um, So it was a really crazy process of just trying to figure out what the heck I was doing.
0: Yeah, so why shoes?
1: Uh, Not on purpose, that's for sure. Um, So in that first phone call with Bill Cummings from Lemonade, um, I was literally like, hey, so I have this idea for this business. And he was like, great, you need to do it. I was like, okay, great. Who do you know that makes stuff? Yeah. Like, literally, I had no connections. I um, did it totally backwards. Normally, you should, like, start with product and then build a business around that. I was like, okay, so I've got this business idea.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Let's start there and work our way backwards. Um, so they had just started working with a shoemaker in um, in the small of La his name is Otto, and he um, was a former gang member, which, if you know him now, you would never believe. He is the biggest teddy bear. He is so lovable and so sweet and so gentle. Um,
0: so this is Otto on your website that we see the photos of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He does yeah. look so sweet. He just looks like, I don't know, this father or grandpa figure that, yeah, you just want to cuddle. So...
1: It's- you do. Yeah. I mean, that is exactly what he, he is a teddy bear. Yeah. Uh, so knowing him now, it's so weird. It's like, how were you ever this other person? Yeah. Like, how, how was that ever you? I just, I don't see it. I don't get it. Um, but he got caught up in the gangs very young, which if you're a boy in Lali Manada, uh, the gangs are basically coming after you for a recruit. Um, yeah. And a lot of the reason is is that they can actually send the young kids out to do the assassinations because if they get caught, they'll be tried as a minor yeah. instead of an adult. So um, they're literally building their ranks off of um, teenage boys and sometimes even younger. Um, so that was him, and um, he was an—I don't even know how many years he was in the gang. I know it was a really long time. Um, And then his, what I like to call his redemption story was that he was with his muchachos, with his other gang members, robbing a bus, which is very common. Like, you basically, you try not to take public transportation down in Guatemala, especially not in the city. Um, Buses get robbed all the time. So he goes on this bus with his gun out um, to rob the bus. And there's a little girl on there um, sitting with her parents. And she empties out her pockets and holds it out to him and she says take everything that I have just don't hurt my mommy and daddy Oh, wow. and he turned around and walked off the bus and never went back wow. um, which was actually pretty dangerous because people are murdered for trying to leave the gangs like I said so he was able to get out which is um, amazing and tremendous that was able to happen um, so Lemonade International had just started working with him they just met him through being out in the community and um, I don't know how the school year is down in Australia but here in the states it runs from September to June um, but in Guatemala it runs from January to November so That's they're on us. a different school year
0: yeah although it's we go crazy. all the way to December January to December so oh, really yeah yeah no yeah. three month holiday here yeah <laughs>
1: it's actually better that way, but that's, that's an entirely different story. Uh, So Lemonade International, um, around Christmas here, they do a, uh, a fundraiser every year to get the kids a new pair of shoes and a new backpack for the school year. Um, because if you're in the public schools down there, you need a pair of black leather shoes in order to go to school. If you don't have them, you can't go to school. So they gave Otto a microloan to start his business and then gave him um, an order for like 250 pairs of shoes through this fundraiser for the kids that they were supporting in the slum. And he was able to pay off his loan within a few months, which is amazing. And he has decided that his entire business model is to train and hire former gang members or to get the young guys before they get into the gangs in the first place to give them a job. Um, wow. Yeah. So, I, you know, I knew that they had just started working with Otto. So, you know, I told Bill right away. I was like, definitely want to talk to Otto. Who else do you know? Um, so, we actually started off with not just shoes. We were doing shoes and bags, scarves, jewelry. Um, we actually had some connections in Kenya as well. So, we were working over in Kenya. So that was how we launched. Um, and we had very limited. I think we had like four different colors of ballet flats when we started. Um, So it was not the focus at all. Um, And had I realized how hard shoes were, I never would have done it in the first place, which is funny because that's what we ended up focusing on. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I love hearing about this, the the pivot point, because I think so many people go into business and everyone that I speak to, and as I said, a lot of the people that I've been speaking to lately have only been in business, you know, six, 12, 18 months. And they've, they've all experienced a pivot moment, including myself. And, you know, I think it's, it's such a good thing. I think people are so afraid to pivot sometimes thinking, oh, no, but that's not why I started and that's what I did. I didn't think it was about this, but it's a really, you know, business is like a person. It changes and it grows and you find the best part of it and bring that out. And I think, you know, um, and I love that you have gone with the ballet flats and it sings back to your dancing days. Nice. <laughs> There's always this little thing that comes out from people's past that they don't, um, you know, necessarily think about. So there you go. Um, I love that story too. I'm, I'm, I was formerly a dancer as well, so yeah. It's probably why I love your shoes so much because they yeah. remind me of little ballet flats. <laughs> I want
1: to be a grown-up ballerina? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Do they make grown-up tutus? Because I would wear one.
1: I know. Right? Yeah i walk my dog in them as they're dragging me down the street with my ballet flats and my tutu on. Yes.
0: <laughs> gorgeous, gorgeous. So, so you had this broader line and you were working in Kenya and then you decided to focus on the shoes. And how did that decision come about?
1: You know, the shoes took off right away. Um, it was really interesting. Um, I mean, starting off with doing so much at the beginning was a terrible idea. I would yeah. never recommend that anybody does that. Um, I mean, they always say do one thing and do it well. But I was like, no, we're going to do everything. It's a great idea. Yeah. But the problem was is that because um, you know I was starting this without a business partner, I was starting this without a design partner. It was just me. Um, I couldn't do everything well. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty obvious from the beginning. Um, I mean, I look back at some of the stuff we did. And I think it's just, it's an interesting growth process. Like, just being like, looking back at that now and going, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why did I do that? I don't really know. Uh, But the shoes took off right away. And I think it's because they're just unique in the marketplace. Not even just from a design perspective, which they are a little bit more unique. I mean, a ballet flat is very classic very simple but you know ours have that raised heel with a little bit of detail on it it's not anything that you would like you know go to the mall and see um but also just in the fair trade ethical space everybody's doing bags and Mm. everybody's doing jewelry and everybody's doing all those other things and there's not a whole lot out there on the footwear side so um It became clear very, very early on that the shoes were going to be the thing that we focused on. Um, So for the first year, though, we did do a few things with bags and jewelry. um, And then it was, I think, probably nine months in where I was like, okay, we're just cutting everything else off. And it was interesting because the other relationships ended up just falling away for various reasons. Like in Kenya, they decided to go in a different direction and focus on different things. And, um, and we had some of our jewelry being made in Guatemala and the same thing there where they just decided to go into a different direction. And, um, so the timing of it all kind of happened at once where it was like, I don't know how much we're going to be doing with these other products. And then they're like, Hey, by the way, it's like, okay, great (laughs) problem solved. (laughs) Uh, so, We have been footwear only for um, almost two years now, but now that we have our feet under us a little bit more, we are actually starting, we're going to start branching out into other products, which um, are not available yet. Yeah. And are super secret. I may have samples on my desk right now, but they are super Oh, I'm trying to (laughs) peek behind you. I can see some of your shoes on the wall, but that's about it.
0: (laughs) Sorry listeners you're going to have to stay tuned. Um I'm hoping I'll be um as one of your suppliers. I'm hoping I'll be one of those early people to find out what what's happening. <laughs>
1: Secret stuff.
0: I love it. And, you know, um, I think the great thing as well around um, what you're doing and focusing on the shoes is your shoes have a real identity and look behind them. And, you know, it's almost one of those things where if you saw them on the street, it becomes one of those things, oh, they're a root collective pair of shoes. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, any brand, and this probably is from your marketing experience, would want that to happen because it becomes, you know, so not – uh, synonymous with the brand, um, yeah. and that's what I love about them. They've got this particular look, and I think it's really hard to find your own niche look in fashion that's identifiable without being too kitsch or too crazy or too weird, too you know, Lady Gaga, um, yeah. <laughs> where you know, and and the style expires. I think you know, especially the design that you've done, it kind of translates um, through seasons, through kind of periods trends which is which is really really lucky so yeah, yeah. So.
1: and it has been fun having that um just that unique side of things because we all of our shoes are made from um hand woven textiles because the textiles down in guatemala like that's just part of their culture down yeah. there it's, it's very heavily embedded in textiles so Um, that's just what was available down there. And with the ballet flats, the actual like shape of the shoe was something that Otto was already doing. Um, but when I met him, he was doing very Guatemalan type textiles. Like it was like, hi, I was made in Guatemala and I was like that's great if you're going to Guatemala and you want to come home with a pair of shoes that look like that. But I'm like, this is never going to sell in the States. So it's like, how can we take this unique shape of what you've done and, you know, modernize it into something that's going to sell outside of Guatemala?
0: (laughs) I love that. And it's, it's something that I talk about with a lot of people that I meet around the concept of even my store. And I guess that's why I'm selling your products because I look for, um something that is you know unique and identifiable but it's not your you know Peruvian poncho that's the example that i have where you know you go to peru you buy ponchos you want to get involved in it but it's like hang on my peruvian poncho doesn't really match back in australia but imagine you know, um, modernizing a Peruvian poncho. It would go crazy. I mean, you know, you see all these big brands overseas, um, you know, bringing out these amazing, like, blanket-looking things that are huge. I think Burberry had some ridiculous blanket-looking things. So, yeah. you know, I think it's really identifying that and then restyling it. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yeah. You've definitely hit the nail on the head with that one. Hey. Uh, So is Otto still making the shoes for the school children as well, or how is that program going?
1: He is, yeah. So they still do that fundraiser um, every right around the holidays every year, Um, and then he also, um, you know, in some of his (laughs) his spare time, which is not very much. Like if we have like leftover textiles from shoes that we're phasing out, um, we're not going to be using anymore. We'll actually gift that to him, um, to be able to make shoes for some kids in his neighborhood. So he's just done stuff like that just because he cares about his community a lot. So, um, he still does the, the fundraiser and then he's doing things like that as well.
0: Wow. That's awesome. So do you get down there much or has he ever come up to you?
1: He has not come up to us yet. Um, I get down there a couple times a year. I was just down there in February, and I'm going to be going back again sometime in August. So um, normally go down when we're in, like, collection planning mode to work on new samples. And um, we're actually we're branching out, and we're starting to work with um, some other shoemakers around the country as well. So um, we've got a... Style coming out this fall that uh, we're working with um, somebody in a different area and then we're in conversations with um, another group for some new styles for next year as well. So as we're branching out and we're doing new styles, we're looking for new groups um, that kind of specialize in that thing. Um, Just because it's like not all shoemaking is created equal um, in terms of like styles and the skill set that you need to do particular things. So, um, so when I go down in August it's gonna be meeting with our now three different groups that we're wow, doing. So yeah, exciting. And then we try to get to meet with the women that weave our fabric as well when we're down there.
0: Wow, that's amazing! It's so—it's one of those great things, isn't it? About having handmade products and knowing that you know there's actually real people behind some of these things. And you know, I think shopping today we're so removed from the story and the people, and it's just—it's so cold-hearted. You know, you kind of go into these shops, people annoy you and harass you about buying this and buying that. You stuff them into your bag, you go home, you wear them a couple of times, and throw them out. And I guess that brings me into my next conversation is that um, I rave about your ethical fashion guide all the time so so I did want to touch on that so obviously aside from what you're doing um, and it speaks through in your marketing um, you're obviously passionate about ethical fashion and finding that and kind of bringing that to your consumers and opening up those doors so um, where did that kind of um, passion and and push come from?
1: Um, It came from it, well it came from two things it came from starting this business and then in the year that i started working on it was when the rana plaza factory collapsed in bangladesh um that's the factory collapse that killed uh, i think it's close to 1200 people um in in one day which is yeah. insane to me um and we are so far removed from manufacturing just in general um I mean, my own dear sweet husband didn't realize that it was actually people that sew, like, the t-shirts that you get from the Gap. It's, like, not... It's not actually machines. Like, that is not an automated process. (laughs) (laughs) I I thought that it feels like it should be, but it's it's not. There's actually somebody sitting behind the sewing machine pushing that fabric through. Um, So everything that we have is handmade to an extent. Um, So when that factory collapsed, um, it really came from... Um, you know, my, my heart was initially in the poverty alleviation in this one slum community. Um, but then I started realizing, it's like, you know what, all of those people in that factory were in the same position that Otto is and in the same position that the women that were weaving the fabric in and the same position that, you know, the women that were doing our jewelry, they're all in the same position. Mm. They just need a job. Yeah. And so they're willing to do pretty much anything to get that. Um, And that's how a lot of the factory jobs, especially in the garment industry, are. Um, It's a a poor country, essentially a poor country, a third world developing country's introduction into the global market is apparel and footwear. Like anything that we wear, that is that country's introduction into the global market. Um, And with this race to the bottom to just try to get things as cheap as possible, Mm-hmm. You know, you get that $5 t shirt, yeah. and if you start breaking that down a little bit, it's like, okay, that cotton has to be grown, has to be ginned, has to be turned into yarn, that fabric has to be made, it has to be cut, it has to be sewn, and then most likely it has to be shipped halfway around the world from China. How is it possible that mm-hmm. it's $5? The brand yeah. is still making a profit because you better believe they're not losing money.
0: Yeah, no so, way. No way in hell.
1: How is it possible that people are being treated fairly? Um, And we just, we tend to not think about that. You know, it's just, it's so easy to brag, like, hey, I got this t-shirt for $5. Like, I used Mm. to do it, too. You know, it's like, it's like this mission and this hunt to just get things as cheap as possible as a consumer without thinking about what that means. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I I say all the time, it's like, you know how much something cost you, but do you know how much it costs the person that made it?
0: Yeah. there
1: is a very real human price tag attached to that
0: definitely and for anyone that's interested i'm sure you've seen the film bethany the true cost um Uh is a huge eye-opener on just all of those struggles and really what kind of goes on behind you know the fashion industry and it it is such an eye-opener and aside from even in that film you know it even is um such a huge polluter i think one of the biggest things when i was researching about you know um my business and i can't believe that i hadn't come across this sooner was that the fashion industry is the second biggest polluter on the earth so even with all of the the ethics behind it it is so bad for the environment so um yeah you know this fast fashion it's got to stop it's got to change there needs to be a way around it so
1: yeah absolutely um I was so glad when they did that movie and that it got so much attention. Um, I actually just did two screenings of that, um, one in Pennsylvania and one in New York a couple of weeks ago. Um, just as trying, trying to get the conversation going because people don't know. So it's like, okay, sit down and watch this 90 minute documentary. Yeah. And it's going to give you a hint. Um, and I actually recently wrote a short ebook that's available on our website. Um, Called uh, Your Ethical Journey, Seven Steps to Changing Lives with How You Shop. So, because that's the other thing is that as I really started understanding what an issue this was globally, um, it just became this burning passion. And this is all I talk about. Like anybody that knows me on a personal level knows exactly what I'm passionate about. And the thing that I kept getting people asking is, okay, I want to start shopping ethically, I have no idea where to start. Yeah. Like, what do I do? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think we're singing from the same
0: book, Bethany, because actually I've got a screening next week, which will have been passed for those of you who are listening, Um, just coming up on Wednesday with Suburban Sandcastles. um, And we're doing a screening just locally here in Melbourne. And we've got like a little ethical goods marketplace um, and then a speaker panel at the end of the event, um, which I will be on and a couple of other really interesting, and passionate, you know, ethical fashion people. So it is so important. And funnily enough, I actually wrote a blog article just last week. Mine was five tips on how to be an ethical shopper though. So I'm going to have to compare my notes with yours and make sure that we're on the same page. But um, I'm exactly the same as you and, you know, I've completely changed my whole, the way that I shop now. So, you know, and I think that's an, that's the other thing too is people like, oh, I should. does that mean I throw out all of these bad things that are being made? No. Do not throw your stuff out. No, just when you're making new purchases, reconsider and rethink. And that's, you know, such an important strategy. Um, well, I guess that that's obviously a really key thing for you that um, uh, around a tip for people. So I was going to say to you, what is a ethical or environmental tip that you have for others that you like to sing its praises to all of your friends?
1: Yeah, I mean, I have so many. It's so hard. Um, one of my favorite ones is um, doing clothing swaps, um, having, like, just a fun girls' night. Yeah. Get some, get some wine, get some yeah. cheese and crackers. Everybody brings all the stuff that they aren't wearing anymore, and then you just swap things out. You get to shop each other's closets. Because um, it can be, one of the things I hear so often is that, okay, like, I want to start shopping ethically it's so much more expensive. And it's like, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. It is. It has to be. Uh, People are being paid fairly. If you're using more um, eco-friendly material, like it is going to be more expensive. Um, So just a lot of people feel like they can't afford it. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, it's like shop secondhand. Yeah. And shop your friend's closet. So um, that's one of my big fun. And it's fun.
0: Okay, yeah. that's
1: totally
0: fun. Love that night. tip. Love <laughs> that tip. Love it. Swap your shoes. Swap your dresses. I just did that recently for a friend's wedding, and it was the best solution because I had a traumatic shop walking around the shop experience. And I think I'm just so disconnected from retail at the moment as well. Is that you know in one in one frame of mind, I wanted to find this new dress for a wedding, and at the same one, I was like. I really don't want to buy anything cheap or nasty. And I just actually don't want to even buy anything. But, you know, then went and checked my friend's wardrobe and I actually had eight dresses here to choose from. So, you know, that just shows you it's such a great tip. Love that one. Love it. Um, So another... Uh, thing that I like to ask is what is your in? what is a inspiring quote or comment or person that you just kind of it's your live and die by
1: my live and die by I have so many um I love I that, that you have so many <laughs> I have a favorite one and I have to make sure that I'm quoting it correctly so that I don't um I don't misquote it, but I believe it is, is it Vivian Westwood, um, and she says, essentially, I'm misquoting it a little bit, buy less, choose well, um, so, like, this whole concept of, like, walking closets is weird to me, mm. like, I've got this tiny little closet, um, and, um because I just, I, why do we need so much stuff? Mm. Like why do we need it? Um, so in kind of my, I joke, I'm the worst person to run a retail business because I'm like, don't buy it unless you don't need it, unless you need it. Like if you don't need it, don't buy it. Period. Yeah. Um, so for me, my life has really just become about being just more intentional yeah. about everything that I do. Um, so, cause I think A lot of the damage, even a lot of the environmental damage, um, you know, there's so much conversation about, like, pesticides and the use of pesticides. And it's like, yeah, that stuff is really bad for the earth and it's bad for people. But could it be less harmful if we were not consuming so much? Mm. Like, if we were still had to use those pesticides, but um, if we weren't buying at such a frenzied rate. Yeah. Yeah. Could it actually not be as harmful? Yeah. Uh, So and then another one of my favorite quotes is Helen Keller said, I actually have it on my wall right here. Life is either a daring adventure or nothing.
0: Yeah. Love that. I love that. There's both two there, one down the ethical path and one around just, you know, really living your life in the moment. I love that. I love the word intentional. I think that's really great. Um, and I love it because it's not purposeful. <laughs> so can I ask you, what are some of your other favorite socially conscious brands that you love and follow?
1: Wow, there's so many um, uh, favorite ones. I love Tribe live. Um, they've got some amazing jewelry and bags. Um, they're working in a few different countries. Um, and then elegant Tease is another favorite of mine for clothing. Um, they're working in Nepal with women who have been rescued out of sex trafficking. Um, so those are two of my big crushes. Um, but there's, I mean, there's so many, there's local and Lejos. There's, um, Nina and co. They do really beautiful bags. Um, Um, There are, let's see, uh, Be Good is another favorite one of mine for clothing here in the States. Um, Mm. And I love Paige Denim for jeans. Okay. Um, You guys in the
0: U.S. are killing it with your socially conscious businesses. I think... I was, I was so upset when I was looking around Australia. I'm like, we have hardly anything here. Mind you, I'll, I'll take it back because I've suddenly found that there are a lot more um, in the last kind of three to four months since I've been aggressively looking. But, I, you know, when I first started my search, the, it was the U.S. And I, I think I was even saying to you about I have spent so much money on shipping from the U.S. because that's where it's at right now. So you guys are spoiled for choice. I'm really excited. And I hope that this podcast can motivate some of you Aussies to get out there and start launching some of these brands because, yeah. you know, the more that we can get that comes local, um, you know, it would be amazing. So
1: yeah, for sure. And I think it's going to be consumers that drive that too. So, you know, if you've got consumers there in Australia demanding that definitely. kind of stuff, eventually these retailers are going to have to listen. So I always encourage people. It's like, go and ask for it. Yeah. Definitely. No, if it's not there, ask for it. Um, because nothing's ever going to change if those retailers don't know that you want it.
0: Yeah. And also to ask the question, who made it? I love that, you know, the fashion revolution around who made my clothes. I think, you know, the more that people are start starting to demand those type of questions from the people that they buy from, they're not going to have a choice, but to make sure that they choose yeah. responsible methods, because let's face it, in social the times of social media, they're just going to make themselves look a little bit stupid by yeah, not being sure. able to respond. So. Yep. So ask the brands that you love, guys. That's right. <laughs> um, well, how do our customers and listeners on the podcast support you and the Root Collective, Bethany?
1: Well, obviously they can find us on your site and on your shop. So yes. um, in Australia, definitely hit you up. Um, on social media, on Facebook, um, we're at facebook.com and uh, slash The Root Collective um, on Instagram. Um, we are at The Root Collective. Uh, so you guys can find us there. We're also check us out online at therootcollective dot com. Um, our ethical list, which is a list of hundreds of companies that we feel are really trying to make an impact with their manufacturing, that is available on our site and also um our ebook. That I was talking about yep. is as well. So, because um, you carry a limited selection of our entire collection, so there's also other stuff that's available on our site that is not available directly in Australia. Yep, and
0: I hope to expand the range. So, the more of you guys yeah. that want it, we'll get more of it happening in social. Well, thank you so much, Bethany. It's been so great to talk to you, and absolutely love those, uh, love your story, and love hearing all behind the root collective and hearing about otto and you know just you know opening our eyes up to what's really going on there um i think it's so empowering and is so helpful to so many of us so i appreciate it thank you so much
1: awesome thank you
0: thank you so how did you like that one guys I hope you are feeling just as inspired and motivated as I was at the end of having this interview. Bethany is just such an inspiration, absolutely loving her work and so excited to see what she's able to do. As we mentioned, all the details and information that Bethany mentioned will be in the show notes below. So please do check those out. Check out that ethical fashion go-to guide. It's just amazing. And of course, if you are interested in shopping more ethically and supporting socially conscious brands, please do jump on and check out our Social website, which is full of products and brands that are just doing amazing things for people and the planet. So do jump on, check us out. Our website address is Social dot co. That's S-O-C-I-E-L-L-E dot. follow us on Instagram we're at social and follow us on Facebook if you want to as well we're always sharing really great content there so thanks again guys and I look forward to speaking to you and sharing with you another great amazing inspirational person with our next episode see you then